School pupils from across Australia have taken part in a day of strikes to call for greater action on climate change. Thousands gathered at rallies in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, despite being told by the country's Prime Minister that they should stay in school. The youngsters say they want Australia's government to stop all new coal and gas projects. The Today Show did an interview with me and a couple of other students and on the way there, I was taking the train, my dad was with me, and I was so nervous, my mouth would just go dry yep. every five minutes. Oh, it was so bad. There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Climactic. Last week on the show, we achieved one of our dreams for what this show could be, by having a group use us as a platform. I thought that all of these great groups doing work to protect the environment and stop climate change were just that, great, but that they could put themselves out there a little bit more and tell their stories. Well, Stop a Donnie Gold Coast did just that on last week's episode. This week, another goal has been reached. And this one's a newer goal, but just as big. And that was to hear from one of the amazing young people behind the school strike for climate, the rallies that roiled the country in November last year, and returning again to the streets soon, this March. Maisha is an excellent speaker, keen mind, and future and present leader. And she's just started her final year in high school. I can't say in my final year at school I was doing anything as remotely important as she is. It was an absolute pleasure to get to talk to Maisha, and I'm sure this is one you're really going to enjoy. Climactic is part of this year's Australian Podcast Awards, and we're going for a documentary and storytelling prize. We never would have thought we'd be ready to do such a thing, while we're still in our first year. But a past guest actually called us out and asked why we weren't there in the popular vote, and... We really couldn't think of a good reason not to be. So we're making a run for an Australian Podcast Award, because 2019 needs to be a year of climate change action, and winning such an award would help us do more, reach more people, and honestly, be really cool. But we need your help in order to do that. Just head to climactic.fm slash podcast awards to learn how to vote, or click the link in the show notes. Give us a vote and tell a friend and we'd be so grateful. Thanks. Thousands of school students have staged protests around the country demanding greater political action on climate change. Students defied the Prime Minister's calls to stay in school and instead marched in capital cities and regional centres such as Bendigo, Coffs Harbour and Byron Bay. The protests were inspired by a 15-year-old Swedish girl who pledged to protest outside the parliament in Stockholm until the country caught up on its Paris Agreement commitments. Her vigil caught the attention of Year 8 students from Castlemaine in Victoria who've been some of the drivers behind the national protest. Students from more than 200 schools have taken part in today's demonstrations. It concerns me that some people don't realise what's happening and some people are just, they don't care and they're kind of just shoving it 
away ignoring it. Maybe if the people in power, like Scott Morrison, listened to the climate scientists and took action to stop dangerous climate change, then we wouldn't have to resort to all becoming climate activists ourselves. Well, Mr. Morrison, it looks like you've finally achieved a marketing success. <laughs> I'm not a climate scientist. I like to make films about wildlife, and I can see how fragile our ecosystems are. It makes me sad, and it makes me mad to think that it is all being destroyed for profit. Aisha, we're here at the Melbourne City Library, so if there's a bit of background bleeping and stuff, that's just people running away with books, I guess. Yeah, sounds <laughs> like me. <laughs> Love reading. What's your favourite kind of genre of book to read? Oh, it's quite a range, actually, from biographies to a bit of fantasy, uh, you know, futuristic novels. I've read The Handmaid's Tale and I absolutely loved it. Margaret Atwood is a queen. Um, so this year for Year 12, I'm actually doing English and literature, so a lot of reading to do over the summer, but, you know, since I love it, it's easy to do. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. It's really good to be a bookworm and you get, you know, you get to travel all over the world in your mind. So I, I was, I think, a bit similar to you when I was a kid and I loved fantasy and sci-fi. But I only started reading biographies when my parents made me. Like, they took me to the library and said, you're not getting back in the car if all you have is sci-fi and fantasy. You have to get a biography. So what was your first biography? The story of uh, Lee Iacocca, who was the guy who took over Chrysler in, like, the 70s and saved it from, from bankruptcy. So a, a captain of industry, capitalist guy was how I got my teeth <laughs> yeah. on biographies. So how about you for biographies? Do you remember your first one? The Diary of Anne Frank. Oh. Yeah, so I was pretty young quite when I read nice, it. Nice, easy reading there. Yes, yes, I was quite young. Um, but it was quite difficult, the actual themes. Um, so I was exposed to a lot of different social issues. And I think from there, that's where I started my interest in activism and politics as as well, yeah. Got a whole bunch of questions here, so you might hear it's going to go from sort of scripty to, to off script. Oh, but that's all right. What did inspire you to get involved with this and sort of where did your awareness of climate change in the first place kind of come from? That's a really good question. I think it started off when I was very young, so in primary school. Um, I learned about palm oil and its sustainability. And so I decided every time I would go to the supermarket, I would grab whatever product we were going to buy and I'd look at the ingredients list, read it once, twice, three times and check for palm oil. And if there was palm oil, I'd turn to my mum and say, Mum, we're not taking it. So I was a, quite a difficult child. You started as like a shopping cart editor, like deleting things from the cart as you went. Absolutely. Do you remember like how you became aware of the palm oil situation? Because I admit I wasn't over that at all until a few years ago and it was kind of unavoidable. I think it started off at school. Here in Melbourne we have the Melbourne Zoo. So we went there for a little excursion and we have a few park rangers who talked to us and I think from there I was quite a conscious child. I always wanted to be the best I could be, be progressive and positive and learning that these orangutans would lose their habitats just for us. I was completely shattered and I thought, you know what, I can take action and I did. <laughs> So for people who are, are scared of people who want progressive action on climate change and are scared of disrupting the status quo, they should probably defund the Melbourne Zoo because it turns young people into radicals. But... Oh, no! <laughs> so that was quite an important thing for you, that actually seeing an animal and having that story told and being able to make that connection between this living thing is probably dying, is dying, we know, out in the wild because of this product that you're removing from the shopping cart. That's great. A lot of other people don't know their own story that well. And like, I know for me, it was a very kind of gradual thing. I can pick out some moments, but it wasn't then 
followed by radical action is more like, oh, that's when I started thinking about it. And then a year later, I did something. So you started doing that of checking products for palm oil when you were shopping with your parents. And then when did that kind of develop into something else? What was the next phase? I think it was just a couple of years ago, I actually turned vegan. I'm not currently vegan because it just doesn't suit my lifestyle, but I was a hardcore vegan. My friend was a vegan too. And I think that opened many, many doorways into environmentalism and sustainable practices. And it was from there, reading more scientific journals um, about the environment, being more aware about climate change, global warming, that I realized, oh, this is a serious issue. I should really take action. And then in year 10 at our school, we have a program called Connections. And that's where we come here out in Melbourne and we meet some amazing organisations and see what they're doing to help the community. And I realised I have the power, I have the choice to make a difference. And I think it was that, that was the turning point. And I realised this was the point where I could actually step up, use my maturity and my education and do something more. We can kind of take it for granted living in Melbourne just how much potential there is to become uh, progressive, like the sort of the infrastructures there and the systems there. Maybe like a left field question, it might be hard to imagine, but can you imagine yourself being on this track if you hadn't grown up in Melbourne and been exposed to that? My dad's in academia, my mom's in health science, so I think both of their careers have an influence on me because they're exposed to a range of people, a range of social issues. I had a friend who said, you know, your dad's in academia, so he must be a bit more left wing. Um, so I think they do play a part, but young people, we're connected through social media, through the internet. So I think at some point in my life, maybe not so young, I would have still stumbled across climate change and I would have started my activism journey perhaps a bit later. You're right that even if you grow up in a, an environment or a situation that is totally agnostic or unaware of an issue, you can still get exposed to it through these new channels we have. But what's more important, I think, is you got exposed to it and you... You really grabbed the opportunity. You did something with it, which probably leads us to what you are sort of blowing up for around the world. You've been on the BBC for it. You've been interviewed in The Age. What's this thing? Why are we talking today, Maisha? So back last year, November 30th, we held the school strike for climate where all across Australia at every major city and even some regional towns, we had thousands and thousands of school students striking from school. That's epic. So what we were doing, we wanted our politicians to take action on climate change and we thought the best way to grab attention and to prove our point was to strike from school because if our planet's going to burn up because of climate change and global warming, there's not going to be a school. So we're not going to be able to go to school or, you know, continue our lives because this affects every single person, not just, you know, a selected group. And we believe as young people that we need to preserve our futures and protect what's to come. That was such an amazing day last November. I was like, I was walking at the very back of the pack. I, I'd gotten there late. I missed the speeches. I understand you were, were up the front with a mic and what, what was going on? Can you recap it for me? Because I, I biffed it. I missed it. So I was a mistress of ceremony alongside another student from Castlemaine called Miro. So from there, we were leading the strike. What happened actually was the police were cutting our time down short. So Mira and I had to collaborate and work with other members and supporters to make sure we had key speakers rather than having all our performances. So we had a range of students talk, so students of colour, students from Pacific Islander backgrounds as well, and Indigenous students um, who talked about their experience and how climate change impacts their lives. And so I think that way we got it 
a diverse range of students and people talking about their experiences, which enriches our learning as well. And you sort of having that role of keeping things going and sort of policing the time a bit, because you do want to have people be able to tell their story, but you also want to have as many voices heard as possible. And amazing juggling act and, and well done pulling that off. How did you have the self-confidence to to be the MC on that day and then do all, all these media interviews after? Where did that come from, you think? Someone actually told me to grow and develop as a person you have to step outside of your comfort zone every single day. And I found that to be such a powerful message because you really don't grow if you're within your comfort zone. So when I was called up and, and requested to MC, I thought, you know what, this is an opportunity. I'm going to feel really uncomfortable and scared, but I can overcome that easily. You've probably heard of the trilogy called Divergent. Yes. Yes. Um, there's a quote, fear doesn't shut you down, it wakes you up. And that moment as I stepped up on stage to MC, it was exactly that. It didn't shut me down. I didn't want to run off stage. I was like, yes, let's do this. I feel the exact same way, and I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. I think a lot more people in this space need to hear that as well. The fear of doing something stops them ever from doing it. If they ever did it just once, they just might enjoy it and like that feeling. So that was wonderful. Thank you. I hope people take that on board. So this is a, a big thing to be tackling, and I'm wondering if there is any parallel figures you've, you've taken some inspiration from. If you are feeling overwhelmed at any point about doing this, is, is there people you can look to basically that sort of help buoy the spirits a bit absolutely there are so many powerful young women across the world you know in politics as well and activism my biggest idol is Rashida Talib. she's one of the first Muslim congresswomen to be elected at the midterm elections in the US she's so cool she's bold she's courageous she just speaks her mind and she stands up for the voiceless and that's exactly the kind of person I want to be the young woman I want to grow up into actually at one of her rallies called fight for 15 which was to raise the minimum wage in America there was this chant show me what democracy looks like this is what democracy looks like and it was so powerful that I decided to use that at our strike as one of our chants and ever since every time I hear it in Australia I feel so proud and I think about her activism and her work at that rally and my heart explodes because I love her so much. I can see it now kind of through talking to you and, and understand, remembering what it was like to be a young person basically. It doesn't take long to lose that, I'm sorry to tell you. But just that the power of actually having figures you can identify with who are doing inspiring things and are in positions of power. I follow Rashida, like recently she's you know, been in the news a lot for saying some very strong th for speaking like a human being yes how, but how i mean that's what i love about her i want to be like that um i think going into activism and in the political arena i've been allowed to be a lot more like her and speak my mind you've already done so much and i know this is going to kill the audience as much as it's killing me and talking to you and how old are you now i'm 17 this year turning 18 a bit later in the year yeah it's incredible. So you're done, right? Like you've done more than most people have in their whole lives. It's got a long way to go, I think. I'm pretty ambitious. I don't stop until I meet my goals. So until Australia moves towards 100% renewable energy and we stop Adani and stop any other future coal and gas projects, I don't think my job's done. What's the current mood among young people? And sorry to ask you as like the avatar for your generation, which we have a terrible habit of doing. But I, I know that I can talk to an average person my age 
and it's very hit or miss. They either care about it or they actively don't care. What's it like, roughly speaking, even just like a mood at your school? That's very interesting, actually. Um, early last year, in one of my classes at school, um, one of my teachers were telling me how they went to all these rallies when they were younger, as a young person, you know, um, a rally against the Vietnam War. And then he turned to us and said, you young people don't do anything, you're so lazy. And that was a spark. So after all the school strikes, when I went back to him and said, hey. He dared you. <laughs> yeah, he did. I said, uh, have you seen what I've been up to? Yeah. I think you guys are pretty involved. So I think from there, a lot of older citizens and a lot of older people think that young people are always on their phones, social media and selfies. But actually, it's the social media that provides us with the information and keeps us connected. So I would say all young people know about climate change. Most of us are going to strikes, um, taking part in activism, talking to our friends about it. It doesn't have to necessarily be extremely active, but even some passive ways like, hey, did you hear about this in the news? Oh, you know, ice caps are melting, we've got polar bears disappearing. What do you think of that? It's those small conversations that really get people going and thinking and inspire other people to get involved. Just like you were doing with editing the shopping cart as a kid and stuff, we'd be foolish to underestimate the influence kids have over their parents. And really, like, they're the people we really have to sway right now. I'm sure the influence you have over your dad, I mean, like, your dad has come along to this interview, he's done interviews with you and stuff in the past. And so I'm really, really happy to hear that. It also means that, you know, my generation... Sort of like the, the Gen X millennials have to stand up and, and all of us do. So what would you say then, and this might not even sort of be the case, to young people who are kind of more on the fence? Because I'm hoping, you know, if this does go wide and, and people who really want to know more about the people behind the school strike, if they sort of look at it and they're like, that's amazing. I, I don't know if I would fit. I don't know if I am sort of, I use the metaphor like you have to be this tall to ride the roller coaster type thing. You have to be this virtuous to take part in climate change without being judged. Like, oh, I, I still eat meat or I still drive a car or I, I want to go work in the mines for a year to the, then fund an OE and oh, oh goodness, I'm flying around the world. What do you say to people like that who, who know that stuff needs to happen and they want to take part, but they also, they're worried about judgment or not measuring up or... Like, have you had any of those kind of interactions with friends at all? Honestly, if I had any advice, it would be just do it. I was a very shy teenager when I started off. I would barely talk to anyone. I'd go to meetings and I'd just sit in the corner and be like, hi, I'm Ayesha. But now I'm doing media interviews. I'm a spokesperson for another one of our initiatives called Climate Leaders. So you grow, you develop. Um, Dumbledore once said, it's our choices that show who we truly are far more than our abilities. And that's so true. You could have a completely different lifestyle and you can adapt that. You can change that. As you go further into activism, you learn from others and you get inspired by their lifestyles, their culture, and just in that way, you develop as a person. So see it as a learning curve. Don't see it as you have to prove something to someone else. Because you've been ace on your quote game, I have to give one back to you and sort of see what you think about it. So right at the start, you said you'd read Handmaid's Tale, and, and I'll give you a Margaret Atwood quote that I use all the time and absolutely love, and it really appeals to my too-much-sci-fi-as-a-kid brain. Climate change is everything change. You know, it's, it's reshaping tire of society, where we live, how we eat, everything we do, whether we like it or not. So is there a particular kind of other facet of society 
that you're interested in the intersection of with climate change? Absolutely. I actually went to an evening with Malala here in Melbourne, so she came down to Australia. What a queen. I loved her so much. And she was briefly talking about how when we educate young women, we arm them with skills and better choices, and that means they'll have less children, which means there's less impact on the environment. It seems such a small detail. You would never connect, you know, women's right with climate change, but there is that intersection. That's so important. That's something I love. I want to work towards and work more in. So in a previous interview with you, it was mentioned sort of what your goals are for the future. And one of those is to work with women in underserved or, or underprivileged communities. In what way do you want to do that work? So I'm hoping after I've graduated that I'll move into medical school and hopefully become a doctor, then specialise in gynaecology and obstetrics and work with vulnerable young women across a range of issues, you know, from uh, child marriages to female genital mutilation to just women's rights in general. I think coming from a background where my parents are from Bangladesh, I've learnt a lot about women's rights and perhaps the lack of rights as well and the choices women have to make and the jobs they have to do and I thought you know what as a woman and education and privilege I can actually make a change so I think that's something I'd definitely love to move into when I'm older. Instant reaction to you being a doctor is like I think the the metamorphosis and like the change and the growth from you now to a doctor is a lot less than than you however long ago even if it was five years ago I still have this hard time believing you being a wallflower not wanting to speak to anyone, not outgoing, super well-spoken person. So like, props on putting in the work and doing that. Would you call yourself an introvert or an extrovert, or is that sort of meaningless? That's really interesting. I'm probably both. I think in, in front of certain people, I'm a bit of an introvert, but once I'm on stage, oh, I am an extrovert. I love the attention. Um, you know, when I was on stage during strikes, there's... The best way to describe it is from the Aeneid, uh, book two, Aeneas looks out from the top of his father's uh, house on the rooftop and he sees Troy burning. Not really the, the destruction aspect I'm talking about, but more that overwhelming sense of incomprehensibility. Just, I couldn't believe there were so many students out there and being on stage, I felt as though I was their voice. I could be so powerful. So definitely a bit of both. This Friday, many thousands of students across the country will go on strike from school, calling for emergency action on climate change. These brave and courageous kids are joining young people around the world who are angry at the failure of governments, including yours, to secure their future from global warming. Will you meet with and listen to these kids who are demanding action from your government to keep coal in the ground? Mr Speaker, climate change is a very real and serious issue which demands the attention of governments at all levels, and it has the attention of this government. But I'll tell you what we're also committed to. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. We're not, we don't support the idea of kids not going to school to participate in things that can be dealt with outside of school. We do not support our schools being turned into parliaments, Mr Speaker. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools.
how can non-students best support this movement? I think this movement is mostly focused on young people because we're the future leaders and we want to take control of our futures. Probably for non-students and older adults, the best way they can support us is by spreading the message, talking to family and friends about climate change, hey, my child's going to the school strikes, isn't that awesome? Um, I think that's the best way. If you really want to get active, perhaps get in contact with us about how you can promote a bit more, maybe over social media, or posterine, etc. They're fantastic ways, but we want to make sure most of the attention is on young people. What are the tangible next steps? What's next for School Strike for Climate or anything else you're associated with? So we have another strike in March, so March 15, and we're looking at getting on uni students uh, with us because they're students too and this is their futures as well. So that's going to be a lot bigger, hopefully international too. We've got a couple of friends overseas who are super excited to support us and run their own strikes. Probably the biggest initiative we've got going is called Climate Leaders. So this is the action after the strike. The strike was about getting attention, initiating discussion, and so Climate Leaders now is about the action. So what we're doing is we're getting the leaders from School Strike for Climate together and we're going to have young people who are going to support candidates across Australia. So we want a voice, we want a politician in Parliament who represents us and who wants to pass a climate policy. So we're going to endorse and support candidates who will drive for a climate solution in Parliament. Now, we're going to recruit and endorse any candidate in any seat from any political party. Since we've got the federal election maybe in May, we've got just a couple of months, so we're probably looking at independent candidates now and hopefully electing at least two of them into Parliament, but for 2022 we're hoping 50% of Parliament will be climate leaders, so they can be from a range of parties, but they're all hoping to pass a comprehensive climate policy. Wow, that's that's just what we need, and that's an amazing goal. So it's it's kind of like a uh, an endorsement program, so you're going to actually like vet these candidates if they pass muster, they'll have the tick of approval from climate leaders. Uh, you guys would be amazing surrogates and amazing sort of stump speakers for them. And I'm sorry, using American political lingo there. Is that is that kind of the idea, though? Yes, yes, that is. So it's mostly, it's driven by students and we're looking at a range of political parties rather than just one. Yeah, then you can't be written off as, oh, you guys are just a Greens proxy. Yeah, exactly. or, that's That's so exciting. What's it been like being, and I'm sorry to, again, phrase it like, oh, I was a 17-year-old, but like, this is true probably of anyone. A lot of us haven't been in the media spotlight before. What was it like interacting with big names like the BBC and The Age, but like like traditional media? Like, How did you find that to go? Was there a bit of a disconnect between the reality you see and then what they wanted to know about? Perhaps a little bit. They don't really see, I guess, the inner workings of the strike, like what's going on in the background, behind the scenes, which can be a bit frustrating when you get, I guess, uh, other listeners and uh, news readers and older parents who listen and say, oh, they're just striking from school. Um, it's such an easy thing to do. They should just go back to school. They don't realise how difficult it is to organise such a big movement. And I think they should appreciate that a bit more and realise that we are taking control of our futures. And if they're not going to make the change, we've got to make it. One thing I noticed in the media was the lack of urgency. They were asking you, like, oh, so this is great. And I'm sure you like, do this for a couple more years. It's like, you know, we've, this is like, we're doing it right now because this is like the last phase. Like, this is the end game. In the media you've spoken about, and even just in this brief chat, like, your kind of vision for the future under business as usual for the next couple of decades is, is very dire and grim. 
And I agree with it 100%. And thank goodness the scientific consensus is behind us. We're not, sadly, having a nightmare we can wake up from. I tend to approach this from a very, like, you know, a sci-fi kid. And, like, I, I believe that there is a future for our species. But I know that, like, if we don't do anything, there's a lot of pain on the horizon. And sadly, it is people in the developing world and in the equatorial regions. And even us here going through this second bad heat wave of the summer that's breaking all records. What's kind of, if you close your eyes and you have, like, one of those terrible moments when you think that we're not going to change... What kind of a future can you see yourself living in? Like, what feels real to you? Is there even a future? (laughs) If we don't take action urgently and swiftly, what I see is many, many more extreme weather systems. So more droughts, more flooding, heat waves, especially in Australia. We've seen um, a number of rivers being affected by climate change, whether that's being dried out or not having enough oxygen in the water and fish are dying. So it affects all aspects of life, from the food chain to how we live, our waste management, everything. Going forwards, I probably see a future where my children won't see many natural icons like the Great Barrier Reef and even um, some national parks here in Victoria. And that's heartbreaking because that's something I've seen and my parents have treasured those memories as well and they've always wanted to give me a great insight into nature and not having that for my children is really depressing. It really is. Not to mention countless species that they might not have the same Melbourne Zoo experience that you did as a kid. So we've we've gone there. We've gone to that dark place and it's it's I, I kind of like grappling with it occasionally because if I don't talk to someone else about it, I just find myself stuck in that that place. So there's a lot of solace, I think, in being able to talk about that with people to maybe end it on maybe like a hopeful note. You can have that bad thought occasionally pop into your mind of what happens if we do nothing. Does acting like you are doing through school strike, everything you're doing, even while being a student, does it make you feel better? Does it give you hope? Absolutely. Already we're seeing politicians thinking about climate policy. We've seen the Australian population thinking, hmm, climate change is going to be a real issue when it comes to the next election. Already we're seeing technology improve, the prices of solar panels and battery packs decreasing rapidly. Incredible. So it's economically viable to move towards 100% renewables, absolutely. And I think if our politicians just get on board and just demonstrate a bit more leadership and if we continue our movement and take the reins of our futures then I have absolute faith we will have a brighter future we will have a safe and clean future definitely that's wonderful and and just you personally does Maisha who is you know active in school strike and is emceeing events do you think she's a, a happier person than if you weren't doing this and if you weren't taking so much action? Absolutely. The skills I've developed, the friendships I've made, so many amazing friends through this. Some people I've met have completely changed me, have made me a better person, influenced even my lifestyle and the way I live. And that's something you don't just receive from schooling. You have to actually go out into the world and uh, get involved, whether that's activism or sport or whatever everyone's interests are. It definitely changes you and allows you to be the best person you can be, for sure. And you're doing it about something that matters the most. Exactly. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Aisha. This has been a real pleasure. And we wish you all the best, and we can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be on your amazing podcast.
And that was Maisha, leader, activist, student. If there's more you'd like to hear about the school strike, just let us know at hello at climactic.fm. That'll do it for this week, but make sure to check out next week for a big announcement about the future direction of the show. It's nothing bad. In fact, it's something very, very cool. Thanks for listening and have a great week. I've been Mark Spencer on behalf of the whole team, Rich, Hazel, Georgia, Bronwyn, and Maxine. Bye. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio. Studio.